If ever a matter demanded the urgent attention and forthright action of this common council, this is it. Gentlemen, the time is now. The news tells you what's happening now. But what about what happened then? Welcome to NBC15's new podcast, Making Wisconsin a History of the Badger State. I'm Gabriella Rusk. And I'm Charlie Shortino. Together, we'll take you through cultural and historical moments that have shaped our state and who we are. Val Valea Phillips, later just Val Phillips, was a woman of many accomplishments, several of which were firsts for the black community. After graduating from Milwaukee's North Division High School and receiving her Bachelor of Arts from Howard University, she was the first black woman to graduate from the University of Wisconsin's Law School right here in Madison. She went on to eventually become the first black woman to win a seat on Milwaukee's City Council, and if you're not impressed yet, she eventually became the first black woman to become Wisconsin's Secretary of State and serve as a judge. Later on this episode, we'll sit down with one of the people who knew her best, her son, Mike Phillips. Though he was young during some of Val's pioneering moments, Mike is honored to see her legacy play out today. I love the fact that there's going to be high school kids who play football for Bell Phillips Memorial High School and 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 you play basketball. There's gonna be a girls' basketball team. They're gonna be talking years of, you know, from the, where'd you graduate? Oh yeah, I was at Bell. I mean, it, having a high school named after you is it's a great thing. And Though we know Val Phillips as a trailblazer and leader in several aspects of her life, in this episode we want to dive deeper into her fight for fair housing. According to the PBS documentary, Dream Big Dreams, when attending the University of Wisconsin Law School with her husband, Dale, the couple lived in designated university housing. After the Phillipses moved in, their white neighbors soon petitioned to bar future black residents from the housing area. Though they eventually moved to a more welcoming community, this was a key moment that defined Phillips's fight and eventual win for fair housing. After graduating from UW, the Phillips family moved to Milwaukee, or the Selma of the North, as it was known during the tumultuous civil rights era. According to University of Nebraska professor of African American Studies, Patrick Jones, open housing became one of the most divisive civil rights issues in the Northern struggle for racial justice. White people used institutional and legal powers such as redlining and blockbusting to make it hard for black folks to live or work outside of the inner core, which was a neighborhood on Milwaukee's north side. Landlords would not rent to black people outside of the inner core, and officials refused to maintain it. According to the Wisconsin Historical Society, homes were falling apart, schools were neglected, and jobs were slim to none. Val Phillips' new action needed to be taken. After an unsuccessful run for the school board, Phillips saw an opportunity for change in 1956 when a new ward in Milwaukee was created. With strategic campaigning, like shortening her name to the more gender-neutral Val Phillips, she won a seat on the all-white, all-male Milwaukee City Council, continuing her long legacy of firsts. Maybe many people who first voted didn't even realize that I was a Negro. And I know many people didn't even know I was a woman, you see. 
So you went by the name of Bell, V-E-L, right, Bell Phillips. You understand me too. Wait, wait. As the first black woman on the council, Vell was referred to as Madam Alderman. And while it was a huge accomplishment, the council was less than welcoming. I'm a little disappointed in Mrs. Phillips because I thought she would catch it quickly. Just, just, just a minute, give me a chance, give me a chance. Vell had the vote of the people, but she had to work harder for the respect of her colleagues. But her presence on council was monumental to Milwaukee. As someone who had experienced racism in housing and witnessed segregation firsthand, Phillips believed that everyone should live where they want to live. In 1962, she proposed a landmark ordinance, the Fair Housing Law, which would make it illegal to discriminate based on the color of one's skin when searching for housing. Well, Alderman Earl, would you be willing to vote for a strong, fair housing law? The first time it was proposed, the bill failed 18 to 1, with Phillips being the sole alderman in favor. I have always been alone, just alone, and the alderman had voted against it without a single word, without sometimes saying anything. However, that didn't slow her down. Over the course of six years, she continued to propose the bill, persistent in her fight to end housing discrimination. Phillips wasn't just vocal in the council chamber, she took her voice to the street as well. August of 1967, known as the long hot summer due to race riots nationwide, it was a giant step in the fight for fair housing. The UW-Milwaukee Library reports that the Milwaukee NAACP Youth Council and Father John Groppy planned to protest in the Cream City that summer. The open housing issue has received the kind of uh, attention that it has never received before, the kind of support from the community that it has not received uh, before. And I, I, I must say and give credit where credit is due that this has been because, largely because of the attention that was uh, drawn to it by the demonstrations uh, that emanated from St. Boniface by the, the NAACP Youth Council, the commandos under the leadership of Father Graffi. Around 200 nonviolent protesters marched nightly from the inner core and across the 16th Street Bridge the passageway from the black northern part of the city to the white southern part. Met with violent white counter-protesters and police force, they continued these marches for 200 nights. Can you imagine 200 nights in a yeah. row? Despite her public image, Vell took a stand. She joined Father John Groppy and the Youth Council after Milwaukee Mayor Meyer put a ban on demonstrations. The first night of the ban, Val was arrested. But even this wouldn't stop Phillips. The next day, she marched again, making it known that she and Milwaukee needed fair housing. On the tail end of the civil rights era, one of the movement's most influential leaders was assassinated. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was shot at a Memphis, Tennessee hotel in April of 1968. Known for his use of nonviolence and civil disobedience, his death was one that sent shockwaves across the nation. Just seven days later, then-President Lyndon B. Johnson signed the Civil Rights Act of 1968. And just a few days after that, the Milwaukee Common Council finally did agree to pass Vell's citywide open housing bill. The Milwaukee Magazine reports that after six years of resistance and colleagues even refusing to discuss the issue, Phillips's endurance paid off. 
But I think we must recognize that there are many very, very important issues. But I think that we also all recognize that in this struggle for freedom, we do need some victories. We need some victories. Meaningful victories. In 1971, Phillips left her role at the Common Council and was appointed to the Milwaukee County Judiciary, becoming Wisconsin's first black judge. Seven years later, she was the first black woman elected as Secretary of State. While she was exceeding expectations and collecting accolades, Val was also busy raising two kids, Michael and Dale. Yeah, she did it all. We'll hear from Mike Phillips, an attorney in Milwaukee, and Val's son right now. So, Mike, tell me a little bit, I guess, first off, about your mom. You know, tell me about who she was as a mom, first and foremost, to, to you. Sure, sure, sure. My mom was a, she was a working mom. She spent a lot of time doing her things legislatively, whether at the courthouse or first, of course, at the city hall and then later at the state capitol. So she was, she was in and out a lot, but she tried her best. She did her best, actually to provide the sort of mom that I think a young set of sons growing up in the um, late 50s, middle 60s, and into the 70s would have expected. She held a lot of things in stasis. She wore a lot of hats. She loved us to death. Yeah, not an easy thing to do, you know, to, to navigate so many different hurdles. What to you, though, do you think, is there something that stands out as that is particularly impactful all these years later? Is, is there something that she did that you think maybe has maybe a personal legacy uh, to you more than the other accomplishments of yeah. her life? Yeah, well, it's interesting you say. Um, uh, my mom was a big Packer fan, huge Packer fan. She was a Packer fan in a way that is is um, different than than normal fans, I, I, I think, in as much as in the 1960s, the Green Bay Packers under Coach Lombardi were a team that embraced diversity in a way that no other team in the NFL at that time did. And there are plenty of people who can tell you all kinds of stories about uh, the Green Bay Packers under Vince Lombardi. But one of the ones that my father likes to tell is that um, when the Packers would go off to different cities around the country, staying overnight for a game the next day or what have you, they would often run into the discrimination that came with African-Americans on the road. They couldn't stay in hotels, motels, that sort of thing. They were steered to those sorts of accommodations that catered to black people. And Coach Lombardi wouldn't, he wouldn't hear it. He wouldn't hear it at all. He'd say, you know, either you're going to give room to all the Green Bay Packers or you're not going to give any room to any Green Bay Packers. You know, we are a team. And that was it. My father was absolutely... I mean, they, my, my folks were civil rights people. My mom, you know, was deeply involved in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. My father, sort of the man behind the woman, was a, on the litigative side of civil rights. He was, my father was a criminal attorney, is also a trust and estates attorney. But he fought sort of a personal fight for civil rights while my mom was making a much more public splash. But, you know, when that came out about the Green Bay Packers, I, my parents were just huge fans for that reason. Yeah, they were sports fans, but they were also very aware of where black people were in that in that arena. Yeah. And how sports can take on, you know, political yeah. and have that that impact as well, too. Very interesting. You know, 
you talk about your parents and, and just, you know, the leaders that they were during their time. What values did they instill in you growing up and, and that you now maybe take on uh, in your career? Sure, sure. It, it's funny. When I, was, when I was a young man, I decided that I would do anything before I become a lawyer. But you're I a lawyer just, now. <laughs> I'm a lawyer today. Yeah. Against all odds. The one thing that I think about when I think about my mom and my dad is stick-to-itiveness. My mom was a woman who would look into herself. She would um, make her best assessment of the facts as they exist, the facts that she understands. And it's hard sometimes. It's something I learned from her. You have to dig for the truth. And sometimes it can be painful, that digging, because you have to confront many of your own internal sort of hurdles to recognizing how you block the very truth that is standing in front of you. And, you know, so overcoming our own prejudices to understand how we relate to what's actually going on in this, in the world, in the moment that we're in can be difficult. But if you can do that and find your own personal peace, boy, that's ground to stand on. And, and yeah, I mean, after some hard critical assessment internally and externally, find your place and then stand there. You can stand your ground. My mom had a, um, a life-size cardboard cutout of Obama and she had it outside of her front door. <laughs> it's funny, I inherited it. I, I, I stuffed him into my car and I took him home after she passed and she worked, she lived at the Newport. It's, a, it's sort of a cooperative housing spot here. And, it's mostly older people. I'm, I inherited her place and I'm one of the young guys around here. So there was a guy down the hall who asked her politely to move Obama because, you know, I guess his political leanings went the other way. And um, she uh, just as politely said, no, this guy decided that he was going to take her to the board and um, there was a bit of a stink. And the thing is, the people on the board of this cooperative they knew who my mother was, and they, they, they really honored her. She's the only black woman for the longest time in the building. And they knew who she was. And they also knew, as sweet as she was, that if they pushed her on removing Obama, that the next thing she'd do is call the governor and she'd have the mayor. And, 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 and I mean, this is, these are the context she had sort of at a moment's notice. So they were a little cautious. They didn't want to sort of open that can of worms. And um, they came to her and they said, you know, would, would, would you please just move him Obama indoors? And, you know, just as, just as sweetly, she said, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And that's the thing about her that, that I have to say that she can say no and make it feel like a warm embrace. She could, she could do that. And in the end, they called me and I, I kind of went and I said, Mama, look, got to kind of get along with your neighbors, you know, and she looked at right back at me and said, and they've got to get along with me. So it, it's, it's about knowing where, where you can stand, where your rights are and standing your ground. That's, that's the lesson, much of the lesson that I take. From. Also, she just loved to laugh. She would laugh and laugh and luckily I could make her laugh. And so that's the main thing that I remember about. She loved to laugh. Well, that's so great. I, I appreciate mm -hmm. you walking down memory lane with me. Turning a little bit to 
her housing accomplishments. We're, we're kind of talking about her fair housing bill the, from 1968. I guess, why do you think during the 1960s, this fight was so important to your mom? You know, what what about it was her her reason to to push so hard and, and to be the sole person to to push this through um you know what what about it maybe struck her or or made her really take this on as as a passion project right right my mom was uh, she grew up in a middle-class african-american in milwaukee wisconsin my grandfather was a um, guy who ran a restaurant he also ran a um an auto shop spot and it wasn't until she met my father and moved out of the house and began to, my father was a, a veteran, came back from World War II and used the GI Bill to advance himself in, in school. And he opened my mom's eyes to a number of things. And one of them was poverty. My mom hadn't seen much of the poverty, even though she was black and lived in the black neighborhood. She hadn't experienced or seen any of the poverty that actually was just blocks away. And it was my father who showed her some of these things. And it, it, some of the poverty that black people were living in at the time in the 1960s, this is really the, the 50s. It was ghastly. I mean, you know, no hot water, electricity sometimes. I mean, sewage not good and, and open sewage. And th these are the sorts of things that she couldn't believe, it, really. And, and growing up in the, in the very city that she grew up in, I think it was, a, it was more than an eye-opener to her. And it, to her mind, no one was doing anything about it. So she said that she's going to do something about it. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, maybe as here we are in 2021, a statue of her is now in the Capitol building. There is a high school in Madison that's going to be renamed after her. And I know I've driven on streets in Milwaukee with with her name. Um, you know, what is that like to, to see her her name and her image in the state capitol on a high school? I mean, for you as her son, what is that like? And then also, what would she think of all of this? Right. What's it like? Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a lesson. It's a lesson. I have to say it is truly gratifying to me. And in some ways, you know, I find that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree for, for my, my dad and my mom. I know that my mom earned every accolade that, that she's reaping today, that, that she worked endlessly during the 1960s. And, and in, in, even into the 70s, my mom, she just worked tirelessly for this issue. I can remember marches starting at, at our front door. I remember when I was a kid, my brother and I were watching cartoons and, and you, suddenly we just heard something like a bullhorn out on, on the, our front porch. I, I was out in the street and we're in pajamas and run out there and, and what's going on? What's this? And there was a huge group of people standing on our front porch of big big black men i mean football type men but i couldn't see but i heard my mom on the bullhorn somewhere in the middle of them and, and they would sort of part not we would sneak up in our pajamas and stand next to her and she'd have a bullhorn shouting out into a street full of people this is during the marches marching with Father Grappio across the 16th Street Viaduct. I mean, marches begin from our house. And later, I asked my father if, if we could actually join in, and he would let us. We would put our clothes on and ride on the shoulders of commandos. Those were the people who sort of guarded the edges of the march to keep the counter-protesters at bay. We would sometimes sit on the shoulders of people up at the front 
she's earned every accolade. Yeah, I'm proud of her. Sure. You know, just to wrap things up here, you know, kids in Madison are going to grow up hearing her name maybe more. Do you think that there will be this education surrounding her and what she fought for um, that maybe hadn't been around 20 years ago, that maybe there's a resurgence of sharing state education and, and the importance of black leaders here in Wisconsin that maybe we're seeing kind of come through in the past two years of, hey, these people made such a difference to our communities and we need to educate others just about their accomplishments. Gosh, I can only hope so, Gabriella. I can only hope so. I, I, I love the fact that there's going to be high school kids who play football for Belt Phillips Memorial High School and 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 you play basketball. There's going to be a girls basketball team. They're going to be talking years of, you know, from the, where'd you graduate? Oh yeah, I was at Belt. I mean, it, having a high school named after you is, is a great thing. And I'm hoping to be involved in that inaugural when it actually happens. Yeah, I'm sure as a sports fan, she would love it <laughs> too. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, hey, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Um, is there anything else you want to share you don't think we might have talked about that you want people to know about your mom? I, only that that she was as much a, a mom as she was an icon. My mom and my dad loved each other to death, and they loved us. We were very wanted. There is no doubt about it. My father did his best to create a household that was full of joy and, and a lot of thought. We we talked about lots of things. It was I had a pretty nice childhood, to be honest with you. And it was them. It was my folks. Yeah. We would like to thank Mike Phillips for speaking with us about his mom. Thanks to the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Milwaukee for their resources on Val Phillips, as well as PBS Wisconsin for their documentary and Wisconsin Historical Society for their audio archives. You can find more resources in our show notes. Thanks for listening to our podcast, Making Wisconsin a History of the Badger State. Look out for upcoming episodes on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Making Wisconsin a History of the Badger State is hosted by Charlie Shortino and me, Gabriella Rusk. It's produced and edited by Vanessa Reza and Keegan Schlosser. It's overseen by Nick Viviani and Jessica Leshesky. 